Charlie. I'm Joseph. And I'm Spencer. Welcome back to The Church Closet. This is the second episode of our two-part series over Pride Month. This episode, we're going to discuss our beliefs and our opinions over Pride, Pride Month, Pride Parade, etc. That's right. In this episode, you're going to get our hot takes, our uh, spicy opinions, our thoughts on the most wonderful time of the year. Christmas? Christmas? Flag Day. Back to your hot takes, Spencer. You can't trick me like that. You two, um, being the privileged ones in the room, should give your hot takes first. So I sort of touched on this last episode, but Pride Month and Pride in general has never really meant much to me. I've never felt like gay was part of my identity. As much as I've experienced same-sex attraction... It hasn't been who I am. And so I've been in the closet in the sense of I've been afraid to tell people. I've been afraid to talk about it. I feel like there should be a third example, but there isn't. Yeah, I feel like there have been times that I've been afraid to talk about it. There have been times that I've been afraid to tell people. But there was never a point where I felt like I am gay and I can't be myself. I talked about this some. I'm a weird, unique, special in individual. There are many other ways that, that could be put, some more complimentary to me, some not complimentary to me, and I don't care because the people I do care about, they found ways to love me. They didn't know that I had same-sex attraction growing up, but they let me be myself. That meant that I could do gymnastics, even though that wasn't a stereotypically masculine sport. It meant that I could talk in goofy voices that any sane parents would have found annoying and told their child to immediately stop. Thanks, mom and dad. And so having same-sex attraction, as much as it's an abnormality, didn't become more of me than any other abnormal any other abnormality. So I never felt the need for a parade for a month for the rainbow colors, which I I almost find frustrating now. Sometimes I'll see something that has a rainbow on it and it's pride themed and I'm like, I kind of want to get that. But I'm also trying not to wear my sexuality on my sleeve. I'm trying not to make it my identity, but I also like that and I don't always know what to do in those situations. But yeah, to cut my rambling, it's just sort of been something that other people celebrate and it has never felt like it's for me. As far as my friends go or family members or acquaintances, when I see them talking about or celebrating Pride Month, it's generally an opportunity for me to learn their story. Okay, how are you approaching this complex issue? What struggle have you had? Who do you love that is a part of this? It's an opportunity to hear a story that I don't yet know, and it's an opportunity to learn about people that I love and care about when I see them celebrating pride or wearing the rainbow in a not Noah's Flood fashion. Pride Month for me has been different throughout the years. When I was in the closet, I wasn't safe to come out to my parents. I wasn't safe to put any iota of sense into my sexuality. I was to be hidden, to be kept away, to be the golden child I was. 
So for Pride Month to come around, especially after June 26, 2015, the date that the Supreme Court decided to um, legalize gay marriage, it gave me some hope. It gave me a sense of wanting to belong. And I was still scared to come out. I was still scared to be myself, but to see ever live the way I wanted to live allowed me to live through them. So when I finally came out and I wanted to go to these parades or whatever, I did not find acceptance. I did not find the hope that I had previously found. I did not find a tolerance that people speak of. What I found was hatred, malice, and really just say, if you don't believe every single thing I believe, then we can no longer be friends. We can no longer talk. You are no longer welcome. The exact same thing I found at home. So for me, pride, I see the benefits of it. Like we talked in the last episode, the benefits of raising awareness about AIDS, HIV, and raising funds for those things to make sure people are taken care of um, when they're being taken out of their homes or kicked out of their homes because of their sexuality, raising awareness about those things. I see that importance, in which case I'm behind you on that because no one deserves to die. Well, we all deserve to die because we're human and we're sinful, but there should be a cure for a disease. There should be help for those that have a disease and not looked upon as if they have brought it upon themselves. Diseases happen and we should help them. No one should be kicked out of their house because of their sexuality, because their parents disagree with them. No one should feel that hurt. So for those, I stand behind you. As for the rest of pride, what is lauded as this place of love and tolerance of all people, it is for those that 100% agree with everything. But for someone that still wants to hold on to the newfound beliefs that I had, for someone that still wanted to live a lifestyle but also had convictions, they weren't too tolerant about that. So pride for me is a double-edged sword, I would say. Something that gave me hope in the beginning, as I see posts around Facebook and Instagram and whatnot, of pride is not just for those that are out and proud. It's for those that are still in the closet. For those that have been tormented, for those that survived through the riots and the raids, those who are thinking about coming out, those that have realized their sexuality late in life, it gives hope to those people. But where is that hope based in? We'll get to that in a moment. My hot takes are a lot more boring. As a straight person, I have the privilege to just let pride go under my radar every year. There's a general attitude, and I, and I think... It's complicated because there, there's a culture of celebration of distinct sexual and gender identities. So there's, there's a culture and there's an ideology and there's a political movement and those get so, so wrapped up. So I've got political opinions. I think those should probably be divorced for the most part from the fact that I accept and love people, from the fact that I, I want to be welcoming and tolerant but yeah, pride is something I've, I've tried to, to dip my toe into a couple of times, maybe maybe last year, maybe this year. Figure out what it's all about. Figure out, okay, what is the media that I ought to consume to understand it? 
what are the voices that people listen to um, whenever they're talking about uh, the the official stance that uh, gay people ought to have or the way that you ought to celebrate pride or all the you know all the voices that compete for people's attention i've looked into them and i've come away really really conflicted because on the one hand it's generally really harmless stuff. It's people who are having fun, people who are celebrating themselves, uh, spending time together. It tends not to bother. It doesn't infringe on straight people's rights or the media that I consume. I've never felt like censored and I've never felt like it's been thrown in my face in the way that some people will will say or talk about. But I also don't see the appeal. There is a aesthetic that lines up with pride, the the flamboyant, vicious, ferocious, Yas Queen aesthetic has never appealed to me and I don't understand it. I also don't have to. It's not for me. I, I shouldn't expect that all forms of media and all movements should be styled with the aesthetics that I like. Uh, so it's just kind of a mystery, you know, it's kind of an impenetrable mystery to me. And, you know, I'm okay with that. Here's a question that I've, I've heard thrown out that you guys should probably speak to. I've heard a few people say uh, verbatim, they say, you know, pride used to be a sin. <laughs> And now there's a whole month for it. What do you think about the use of the word pride? What do you think it means for um, for the movement, for the way that our culture relates to sexuality now? How do you think we as Christians should think about pride in general? Yeah, I mean, to bring back some of our discussion that we had behind the scenes. So, yes, we do talk behind the scenes about our episodes. It's mostly about you. You specifically. Yes. You, our dear listener. It's about you always. No. Do you have a deer that's listening? Yes, his name is Bob. I'll give you a buck to see him. No. Anyway, pride itself, the word has changed just like every word has. Even the word gay has changed from being happy to being a homosexual. Every word changes. So how do we differentiate between pride the sin and pride the ever uses of the word? <laughs> so we know what pride the sin is. It's being very e egotistical. It consumes you whatever you're being prideful about that can be your sexuality that can be the sport you play that can be something that you're very good at it can be your children it can be your parents it can be everything and anything pride is also a good thing to have in some aspects you need to be proud of your work we all like swiss made stuff or german made stuff because they take pride in their work. It means that they are proud of the product they produce. They are proud of the work they create. And that's not bad. That shows that they took time and took care to make sure that it was done right and it was done well. That pride is good and actually is pretty much encouraged throughout the entire world because it means that you have found passion in something. It's when that passion becomes identity that pride becomes sin, in my eyes at least. Because we can have pride in what we're doing, and like I said, we're welcome to do so because we want to do it well, we want to do it right. But when it consumes us, when that's all we have, when we have no other basis but our sexuality, but our work, but our kids or our parents or whatever, that's not good. We lose ourselves in one thing instead of the myriad of things that one person is. Yeah, we talked about, yeah, one of the things we talked about earlier is how Paul writes that in God there, I, I forget the, I don't remember the verse nearly as well as I should, but how in the kingdom of God, there is no man or woman, Jew or Greek, slave or free, circumcised or uncircumcised. And 
if any of the basically if any of those are your core identity, you are going to be lost when it comes to the kingdom of God. And the same thing exists for pride. If all you are is a gay, a lesbian, someone who's trans, that's not forever. And we're called to live for the kingdom of God, which has no end. So don't make your identity about something that is temporary. Place your hope on the things of God and the things that are eternal. The same goes for heterosexual men and women. Don't put all your hope into your heterosexuality, into your spouse, into your kids. Anything that stands between you and God is an idol. And we keep saying, oh, identity this and identity that and identity all over and over again uh, for good reason. Uh, identity is something that our, our culture is pretty much obsessed with. It's something that's come up before. You know, how do I identify myself? What words am I comfortable using to identify myself? What groups am I willing to identify with? Maybe I say, oh, I want to identify as a Christian, but I'll back that up because I think Christians have done some bad things. Maybe I just identify with Jesus, identify as a Christian, but I don't identify with the church. We can run round and round in these circles about identity. And I think it can be profitable because this is a question that is very hard for a lot of people to get right. When you do not have a grounded identity, you will ground your identity in anything. It is one of the most basic human instincts. One of the most basic human traits is to be in community, to surround yourself with people and turn towards something and say, that's the thing that brings us together. That's why what identity is. People talk about it in really individualistic terms where they're like, oh, this is just who I am. But all the things they use to define who they are are in relation to the people around them. It's, it's inescapable. I do it. You do it. Everybody does it. All the categories that we use to identify ourselves are unique to us in a way, but really they're about the groups and the values that we surround. And the thing that I think is so beautiful about being a Christian is the thing that worries me about how a lot of people approach their sexual identity is because in, in Christianity, there is something to gather around and we know what that binding together identity is it's our identity in christ it's full of meaning it's full of essence it provides peace and grace and a path to go down and i and i wonder about kind of the relative poverty of putting all your eggs in that basket of your sexuality there, there's something there something meaningful there there's something important there but if that's where you find your primary identity it is it is deeply impoverished next to finding your identity in christ I did want to touch briefly on one of the reasons I think the term pride became so powerful and prevalent within the LGBT community. I don't think it was entirely, oh, Christians called us a sin. Let's use a term that Christians call a sin and use it to represent ourselves. But instead, pride was a replacement for shame. It was meant to be the antithesis of the closet where the world and the for a long time, the church, and in many parts of the church, it is still said, you are better off hidden, you are better off quiet, you are better off dead than believing this way, than thinking this way, than feeling this way. And 
the church has often tried to shame people out of their sin, and that is not the way that God works. God didn't come from heaven to earth to shame us into belief, but Paul wrote that it is God's kindness that draws us to repentance. And we see in the life and the acts of Jesus that it was God's love that brought people to repentance, to faith in him. And it was not their pride, and it was not their shaming. It was not them being better than everyone else. It was grace. So an element that I don't quite know where it fits in, but I think should definitely be a part of this conversation, is what I have observed and what I have experienced of the pride movement's effect on the church. And this is one area where I actually want to talk about something beneficial that it's had on the church, because I think far too often the church only changes when it's forced to. And for a long, long time, the church was content to ignore or silence the large number of people who deal with same-sex attraction. And I know that there were many people before me, and I know there were many people before the gay rights movement. I have no idea how many there are throughout history, but I know that we are not new. Our struggle is not new. The only thing new is the spotlight that we have, and what a razzle-dazzle appearance we've made in that spotlight for better and for worse. When I first started college, it was a Christian school, or it is a Christian school, and we had our theology on same-sex attraction and same-sex marriage, and actually that part, to my knowledge, hasn't changed since I was enrolled there. But same-sex attraction wasn't something that could be talked about very often or very safely. If I remember correctly, I only told two people, no, three people, during my time in school. One of them told me, yeah, that isn't something you should talk about, and then started calling me gay in front of our mutual friends. <laughs> I've talked about her before. I, I, inner peace. And then the other person I told like the other like one person i told sort of in vaguely in a paper where i thought it was being being deep and philosophical and it was i reread that paper years later it was a really bad paper and i'm sorry to whoever had to read it i'll try to come out better next time the one that i actually told face to face became more of an accountability partner where like he was my age he didn't know what to do or what to say but he was my friend he is my friend, and we could talk, and I could talk about that if I needed to. I didn't do much talking about the subject, and I could talk to him. When same-sex attraction was mentioned in class, it was, it was talked about as something that Christians experience, but the general advice was, if you have same-sex attraction— you should probably mention it to your significant other around when you're engaged and not before then and preferably not after. For the record, the honeymoon is a really bad time to come out to your spouse. Make that one of your first conversations. Make it an early one. Like if you're casually dating someone and you don't know them all that well, no, you don't have to lead with that. 
But if you are close with someone and ask them out and that's important to you and it's an important part of your life, let them know about the important parts of your life. At the time, my school also had a sexuality accountability group. This wasn't specific to same-sex attraction. It included men who had same-sex attraction, but it also included men who struggled with pornography. It probably also included people who dealt with uh, premar or who were having premarital sex. I don't actually know. I was afraid of being found out, so I avoided it at all costs. But I remember hearing that one of the requirements for being in this kind of group was that you had to understand and accept that there would be Christians who dealt with same-sex attraction in these groups. There was some form of help. There was some form of conversation, but there wasn't much. Some of the changes that I have seen in the years since I graduated was that they started bringing in Christians who have struggled with same-sex attraction and who have dedicated their lives to following God wholeheartedly, whether through celibacy, through heterosexual marriage. But there were actual conversations that started happening in chapel, and students on campus actually got more of a feeling that they weren't as alone as they thought they were. I got to have conversations after I graduated with students because I didn't want them to be as alone as I was, and... And I've talked about this some before, where after I talked to my parents, and my parents loved me, supported me, trusted me, once I knew I wasn't going to be kicked out of my family, if my parents found out, I could then be more of a safe place for people to talk to me, and I could more openly and honestly share about my struggles. So I think in the Pride movement happening and Christians wrestling with this topic, more people within the church stood up and started talking honestly that this is a real struggle. It's not going away quickly. It's not going away until God takes it away. Sin has been around for a really, really long time, and we don't have the magical cure for it right now. So as those Christians started stepping up, as they started speaking up, not with a voice of rebellion, but with a cry that says, I am a sinner, I need help. God, I need help, and God, I need your people's help. I think more and more people are becoming equipped, at the very least, to know that their friends and family members and students struggle with same-sex attraction. But then there are more people who have wisdom if who actually think about this topic now. And I don't think we're done thinking. I don't think we're done talking. I think there are so many problems that we need to solve still. But I think as the gay pride movement gained momentum, we gradually got a quiet voice of believers who needed help and were willing to ask for it and who were willing to speak up for it. And the church is gradually learning to see us and to meet our needs and to love us. That's part of what we're trying as a podcast, because I know the need is there. And I'm trying to be part of the solution because the church hasn't figured out sexuality. And I know we need to do better. And I want us to do better. That's exactly why I always try to temper 
any critique I have of pride in general because it's a double-edged sword because I, I still believe that it is in, in essence over promises and under delivers on meaning and belonging. I do think true meaning and belonging are, are found in the, the deeper, truer spiritual pursuits in, in spiritual belonging, but I don't want to denigrate something that I've seen do real good. Maybe the shifting cultural tides, maybe it's not pride exactly. Maybe that's not what we'd want to call it. But there has been a, a real key change in culture. I don't want to discount the good that that does for people. I don't want to uh, overstate my case against pride um, and, and hurt someone. I want to throw out something I don't fully understand or uh, decide that it's all worthless. Apply a discerning, measured approach to, uh, to the whole thing. I definitely agree that the church shouldn't be reacting to culture. It should be trying to pursue what is right. Um, on certain topics, that means standing firm and saying, I'm bound by my conscience and I can't mold my beliefs to suit what you want me to believe. And sometimes that means pushing forward and saying this deeply ingrained cultural practice is wrong and evil. There are examples of both. There are examples of action and inaction. There are examples of great faithfulness and great unfaithfulness in the church. And culture should never be our yardstick for determining what is right and what we should be pursuing. To comment off of what Charlie was saying a little bit more, the private movement has done some good things. I know I was a little harsh on it at the beginning, but it has done some good things over me being able to talk more about my sexuality and my struggle with my current church. Now, not all churches <laughs> have gone away. Charlie explained it, in which my old church, as I've explained in some other episodes, once I came out, to a group I was leading, a group of high school guys, I was not asked to come back the following year, even though I've been asked to come back years before that. And that hurt. It hurt because I felt like I was asked to be put back in the closet, even though I wasn't really. I wasn't explicitly told, well, you need to hide that. It's better to keep it a secret. It's better, you know, to not let anybody know. It made me feel unwanted because of my struggle, because of what I felt, even though I was just trying to be honest with people and what God was doing in my life. But when I moved to college, what Charlie explained was happening during his time and a little bit after his time being an undergrad, it started to warm up when I came in for my undergrad. And I was able to talk more freely if you ask Charlie and Spencer a whole lot more freely my freshman year. But it allowed me to express myself, but also get the help I needed. And by help, I mean people that would just let me process through it all. Process being in the closet, process who I am and who I wanted to be. And the pride movement helped with that because it allowed people to be more comfortable with having conversations like that, regardless of what we believe Regardless of what we talk about here, it opened up a conversation like what Charlie and Spencer and I have said all along is that's our entire point of the podcast is to open up conversation. And that has brought a new hope to say we can have those conversations. We can have honest discussion without coming out and saying that we agree with each other. We can just discuss. And for that, I'm thankful for it. I think that's a good rule. Uh, the rule of charity when discussing any of these deep, emotionally charged social issues. We have the unique role and the unique ability as Christians to step in with grace, 
and with love and share tolerance when uh, it seems to be in short supply sometimes. We encourage you to do that in your conversations, in your approach, in your response, both to each other and to the people that uh, believe very different things from you. We're able to maintain that space, the space between the church and the pride movement that is so small and so narrow most of the time. If we can maintain that space, that will be a success. One thing I'd want to try to explain, because I don't think we've directly said it. If your thoughts on same-sex attraction and pride are in a neat and tidy box that never gets messy, then you are probably running off of stereotypes, assumptions, and you don't have the whole story. Whether you are inside the church and anyone like me is a horrible, awful sinner who doesn't belong with you, or if you are outside the church and anyone who's uncomfortable with same-sex attraction is a bigot and should be hated, and the only response to people who disagree is to hate them, then those are boxes that are going to keep you from thinking. And they're going to keep you from people. If you're part of the LGBT, be inclusive enough to hear voices that disagree with yours. And remember that just like the gays, the lesbians, the trans, the bisexuals, the aces, everyone, just like they are a part, known or unknown, they are in the churches, they are in our families, they are in our schools. So are the people who disagree with you. And at some point, we're going to have to learn to live together. We can either keep yelling or we can learn to be wise and to get along and to exist in this space that is messy, where I'm trying my best, but I don't have all the answers, where you try your best, but you don't have all the answers. This is a complicated area. I'm asking you not to oversimplify it, whether you're part of the pride movement or you're a part of the church. And sometimes I know when we talk about the church, we can sound disparaging as if Christians don't get anything right on this subject. And I don't want to sound like that, particularly because I don't know you. I don't know what you're doing. I know that there are parts of the church where I am loved, where Joseph and I are welcome, where Spencer is tolerated. <laughs> but I also know that there are places that we don't belong. And even if it's just something like the job situation that Joseph shared, it's tough being in the church and figuring out whether or not people are going to continue welcoming us, if they will continue to see what God is doing if they learn about the sin that God has forgiven us for, if they learn about the struggle that God is fighting with us through. And so I know there are those of you within the church who love me, who are stepping up, who are doing their best. I don't paint the church with a large, giant brush because I don't think that would make a beautiful picture or an accurate one. But we do try to explain the church as we see it and how we hope it will grow and how we hope it will change. Because the non-Christians should not be right when they condemn us. 
When they condemn us, let it be for following God. When they condemn us, let it be for things that we are doing right. Not for the people that we're kicking out. Not for the people we're hating. Let it be how God feels about them. Let them hate us for what Jesus thinks, for what Jesus feels, and for what God does. Because I'm ready to take that hate. But I don't want to be hated for hurting people. That's all we have time for on this week's episode. Thanks once again for tuning in and joining us for the discussion. We'd love to hear from you, as always. Till next time, be safe, be good, we love you.